June 9th, 1979. It's 2 a.m. in Sydney, Australia. At Luna Park is an eerie scene with smoke in the air. The ghost train ride had burned down just hours ago in a raging fire. The crowd quietly stares, devastated at the news that seven people had lost their lives in the fire. The ghost train fire would go down as one of the worst amusement park disasters in history, bringing us to our darkest episode to date. Police cover-ups and witness testimony paint an even darker picture. So join us as we go down the rabbit hole. Welcome back to the Historical Blunders Podcast. With me, Nate. And Jacob. And today, yes, we are going to be talking about a darker story in history. Luna Park disaster. So we'll go through number one. What is Luna Park? Because it's a pretty important uh, place and it's important to understand for the story. We'll go through that. We'll go through the events of the fire. And then after that, we will go through our investigation and the things that were performed after the fire had occurred. And it gets even darker after that. Not a happy ending. It's kind of like the series of unfortunate events. In yeah. a podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, no happy ending really at all. No, unfortunately it's not. But we're going to have a good time talking about it because it's definitely a colorful story. But it, what's f- important to start out with is Luna Park is in Sydney, Australia. And look, you think of Sydney, you think of that opera house. Well, that's actually only like 0.9 miles away from Luna Park. Luna Park is on the oceanfront and it overlooks the Sydney Harbor Bridge and it's in a beautiful location. Yeah, it's like prime fucking real estate right there. Yeah, I mean there it's on the ocean, it's beautiful, it's yeah. undeveloped. It's one of the, you know, most expensive properties, you know, that you can get in Sydney. Yeah, and it was a really creepy looking fucking dude. <laughs> <laughs> and what was confusing to me is how they said that it was designed after New York City. So I'm guessing Coney Island. Yeah, so all of Luna Park has this kind of art style that's really iconic, yeah. I would say. And and like the biggest shining example, if you look up Luna Park today just on Google or if you go to our Facebook page, you'll see it's got the entrance with like a gigantic face. Dude, it's so fucking creepy. And actually the one that you'll see isn't as bad as if you look at the past. So it was actually installed in 1935. And the older ones were way creepier. So the Luna Park, just for an example, they sold a part of Luna Park back in 2007. And that plot was less than an acre in size. And it sold for $7 million. Dude, that's fucking insane. Like, how big total is the park? I don't know. I can find that. It's significantly bigger than an acre. Yeah. But it's super expensive land. It's like, and it, and the thing is, like, you have all these rides on it. You know, rides can be easily taken off. It's like a, a property developer's wet dream, basically. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, the park opened in 1903. So it's been around for quite a while. It's a classic. Yeah. So the cool, like, like I said, like, it's based off of New, like, in the documentary, they say New York City, but obviously it means Coney Island. Yeah, yeah. There's a Luna Park in Coney Island as well. Was it really? Yep, it's called Luna Park. Oh, that makes more sense. What we're going to be talking about specifically in Luna Park was the ghost train. A, (laughs) 
weird wooden, not even, it wasn't like a fast roller coaster, but it was a roller coaster esque ride. It was, yeah, it was built back in 1931. It used black paint and then like fluorescent paint to like make like skeletons and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it's a roller coaster. If the roller coaster never went up and down, yeah, it, it's just on a track. Uh, it's just like carts yeah. going around on a track. Yeah, there really wasn't. Yeah, there was no change in elevation. You just went. Yeah, the the thrill was not in like the movement. The it was thrill, the spooky. Yeah, the thrill was in the decorations. They had people pop out inside yeah. too. Dude, so, it was, it's kind of kind of shitty that the doorways like hell's doorway. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was <laughs> so ironic. But it actually was kind of a long ride for what it was. Well, and actually, it was one of the most popular rides in the park. I know, like, after seeing how excited they were to ride that, I'm like, it sounds stupid. It, but, Yeah, I will say it does not sound like a ride that you would be all excited to go see yeah, nowadays. Well, I, mean, I think our standards have changed a little bit. Well, yeah, when we got shit that's flinging you every direction. <laughs> right. Yeah, but in, in the entrance, it does say Hell's Doorway, which... Is not so entertaining after you learn about yeah. what happened. It's not entertaining, but it's very accurate. Yeah, I mean, there's some creepy parts to this where it's just, it just makes you a little queasy, a little uncomfortable. Yeah. On the ride in 1977, a fire inspector came to look at it and said of the interior, it's a maze. It was all timber. It was all painted black. As a matter of fact, even with the light on, I was bumping into the partitions in the wall. It was a timber ceiling I would have gotten lost even with the lights on the only way I could keep going was to follow the railway track so it really it goes to show you it it's it's one of those roller coasters that doesn't go up and down it's on a cart path but it goes through this winding twist and turn corridor and back yeah. in 1931 when they made the ride they didn't exactly have like all these fire exits and things yeah, like that that was not a thing no, so it was not a very safe ride from that lineup. You, you know, you obviously can't get away with that nowadays. Yeah. But what kills me is that even, yeah, 31 to 77, like, not at all during that time, someone was like, hey, we should probably pop a door in here. Right. And in and that, that same design consultant in 1977 had recommended that they put a sprinkler in the ride. He shouldn't have recommended, though. He should have required. But obviously they did not listen to him. They did not put in a sprinkler system. Hence, we're talking about the fire today, because two years later, there was a fire that burned it down. Yeah. So you could say that they did a lot of procrastinating. And what do you call it when a Russian procrastinates? I don't know. They're stalling. <laughs> <laughs> so they were like, what's the worst thing that could happen, you know? So yeah. June 9th of 1979, hack rolls around, and the incident... Instant, the incident happens. The incident occurred. Towards the end of the night. It's not funny. I shouldn't be laughing. One cart was passing by the imitation fire and noticed that the imitation fire that's towards the end of the ride looked quite real. It's pretty... That, they did a good job then, right? No. They reached out their hand and they confirmed that it was actually a real fire and they went through the ride and as they came out, they told the operator, Hey, there's a fire in there. You should stop the ride. <laughs> what? Burnt. <laughs> and like, so the operator did not listen and he sent the next crew of people in. And it's very much assumed that those next people were yeah, the ones that passed the, away. That time after they came out and said something, that was the 
father and the two kids, right? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, so the Godson family was on vacation. And they were from Warren, which is part of Central Australia. Where the damn emus are. Which we'll get to in another episode. <laughs> but it was at the end of the night. They were getting ready to leave. They had four tickets left for the ghost train ride. They all got in line. And the mom had, or the mom Jenny, she had a craving for an ice cream. And she stepped out of the line while the kids waited with the, the or the, the dad waited with the other two kids. And for reasons she's, she doesn't understand still, uh, they went on the ride without her. And unfortunately, this is where it gets dark. All of her family perished in the fire. Yeah. Very sad. Terrible. And that, that, that lady, that woman's name is Jenny Godson. Right? So the operator sends the people through, and then the smoke starts to come out from the exit yeah. of the ride. And I think he starts to realize, I may have made a slight mistake. But, like, what I, didn't make sense to me was then it was the other young kids they sent in. Like, he kept sending people in still. Yeah. No, it wasn't, like, instantaneous. Yeah. He was sending people in. And, like... To give the guy some credit, right? If you're an operator at an amusement park... And the ride's supposed to be scary and, and have a fake fire in there. And you're dealing with kids day in and day out that are being difficult, probably... And actually, I mean, think about it, too. There's an imitation fire towards the end. So for people to come out and be like, hey, there's a fire. You're probably like, yeah, no shit. Yeah. It's a fake fire. Get out of here. You know, I think I have a little sympathy for the guy... Hopefully in that respect is what happened. I'm sure he didn't mean to send people to their death, which is what occurred. But, I mean, I, th- I don't think you would have done it on purpose. I really hope not. Well, so we're, we're going through the events of the fire, but really the the real tickler here is that this was not an accident. And yeah. We'll get to it later. But essentially what happens is, you know, this fire starts, it's very aggressive, because it's we'll, like an explosion. Yeah, we'll, we'll show we'll show pictures on our Facebook page of the layout of the ride, but the ride is a series of corridors with all timber partition walls, timber ceiling. You know, things aren't built that way anymore. And, and who knows what the hell was in the paint they used? Right, and and once it's lit and it starts burning, that is going to be a raging fire. Yeah. So. When it does take off, actually, one of the last kids that's going into the ride is yanked out of his cart. Yeah. And they saved that kid's life. All the other, his four friends in front of him, unfortunately, were at Paris. Yeah, so it was two people per cart. Right. And since he was the fifth one, he was, I mean, the odd man out, but he was the lucky one in this instance. Yeah. Actually, he has a lot of trauma yeah. dealing with it, it, which understandably so, right? It's a terrible thing to go through. Well, I mean, literally everyone in that freaking documentary had some kind of trauma. Yeah. I, I mean, still hear the screams. Which makes the ending of this yeah. story even more frustrating. It just, yeah. It's hard, to, it's hard to listen to this and not have your blood boil when you get to the end. Yeah. What's crazy to me is I couldn't imagine being there watching this situation unfold. And then when they said they saw the carts come out empty. Ugh. Because there's like a weird caged part that's completely caged. Yep. But you like you come outside, you see people, but these carts are coming out on fire empty. So it's like at the same time, like where the hell do those people go? Like, I mean, if they could have just got there, but then also that's where the huge explosion. Right. Like yeah. The flames engulf that like so bad. But yeah, it was just a shit show. It was extremely hot and it was extremely short lived because it was so hot, you know, yeah. like coitus with me. <laughs> Poor Sam. 
<laughs> they so the guy who had yanked off <laughs> the last kid. <laughs> That's even worse. Okay, hold on. Let me see that again. The guy who had taken the kid out of the cart before go. it went in, he also ran into the ride a series yeah. of times and saved a ton of people. Yeah, there was like two people that ran in like yep, not even hesitating. Flat out heroes. And the, and the guy so this was the second operator and he's, he's still like alive 16. today. Yeah, he was only 16 at the time. Yeah. So props to him. Obviously he's dealing with a lot of trauma too, but yeah. uh you, you know Definitely get some credit for that guy going in and risking his own life. But he to save even other people. he even said that like he knew the ride and still got lost. It's definitely not safe, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can't make rides like that and not have like fire exits. It's the reason why you go anywhere and you always see the fire exit sign. All and you're like, up. why is that in the middle of this? Because, because of the of park this. with the creepy face. Yes, <laughs> the creepy face park. <laughs> so this fire is definitely one of the darker stories we've had on the show, but the real kicker. And we're going to get to it now is that this is not only just a tragic event, but it's an even darker conspiracy. The investigation, the evidence, and the motives all paint the same picture. This fire was not an accident. It was intentional arson by one man, Abe Saffron. Yeah. We had the great privilege to have a professional fireman on the show to talk about some of the evidence that was observed. We'll talk about it separately here, but first we're going to play our interview here with John. John, after reading through everything, what sticks out to you about the fire? So let me first preface this. Well, yes, I am a I am a fireman. I am not a arson investigator, nor am I any sort of subject matter expert. This, uh, yeah, this is this is my legal, political, <laughs> professional disclaimer that. <laughs> Absolutely nothing I say has any grounds to stand on. From your synopsis saying that the ride was originally built in 1931, obviously that's relatively, you know, ancient times to us now. So I'm sure there are different standards of construction and inspection and stuff that go on nowadays. But then the fact that the incident happened in 1979, I see. um, So 48 years later. Standards change you know, from generation to generation as technology changes and grows. And then a big thing in the fire service specifically that I'm aware of is that a lot of times codes are written in blood. And unfortunately, when people die, that's when things change and that's when things get, you know, quote unquote, better or safer. So while there were fatalities or at least casualties, people got hurt. Seven people died. Yeah, so that's that's enough to say that something probably came about this, you know, in in retrospect, and things got looked at and maybe changed and codified into law, or at least into some sort of like fire protection standards. And then obviously the other big thing is that this happened in Australia and not America. So with the material provided to me, there was a picture of a large fuse box that looks yeah rather unscathed, yeah. whereas everything else around it is pretty beat up. Again, I'm not an electrician, but in my experience with electrical fires, it's very common, electrical, like electrical being the origin, knowing whether or not like the fuse box itself should have blown up or anything like that to, to start the fire. I you know can't speak to that, why it would look so relatively protected and unscathed, whereas everything else is in shambles around it. I mean, yeah, that, that's kind of kind of suspicious. Uh, and just looking at that picture goes, that's kind of fishy, seeing as everything else is all jacked up and that's not. I had a question about that. So yeah, uh, everything that's that's 
taken out is is wood but that box is made of metal is it common after a fire that you'll see like a metal standing box or do those get damaged as well with metal being involved i'm sure the fuse box itself probably wasn't you know the most you know whatever best quality thick metal that wouldn't burn but just that it is metal it has a higher melting point and therefore burning point compared to the wood so the wood wood materials in the structure let alone anything any of the contents in the room near the fuse boxes you know all that stuff is probably going to go up in before, flames that. before that yeah. before that metal will and even then again looking at this picture that i was sent is just like you can see like there's thicker thicker structural members that while those may have been made of steel beams like it's you could just see throughout the whole picture like all, a lot of like the thicker pieces of wood didn't burn you know if they yeah. say it's an electrical fire if that's the if that's the point of origin why would that be the only thing that's not burnt up once you even get into the structure of something they burn hotter and they burn faster so once a once a fire starts and it's sufficient heat to catch anything near it if it's not just like a freestanding whatever that doesn't just burn out yeah. by itself as long as it's hot enough or it grows to start catching more things within the room nowadays it's a very rapid growth of the fire to where you know our our bookmark for we no longer go into a, a burning building or a burning room unless like we know that there's somebody to save is about five minutes and that seems crazy to think about, you know, the fire department to even go without the fire and then they have to go get dressed, get in the rigs and make it to the scene. So that five minute mark of where something could be where the fire is growing and growing and growing. By the time we get there, we're kind of already at that bookmark. So it's really hard. We're playing from behind the eight ball already by the time we get there. In your experience, are electrical fires more slow burning, not so aggressive than like an accelerant like the kerosene supposedly used so obviously the the term accelerant you know is just to, to make something burn hotter faster kerosene specifically i know for sure burns really hot really fast but is also a very limited fuel source compared to other you know quote-unquote accelerants like yeah. gasoline or you know whatever kerosene burns up really fast really quick but it does burn really hot. Yeah. But electric, electricity is a very strong source of heat. So I'm sure the, the fuses themselves would be a very high source of energy. But I can't necessarily say like one burns hotter, faster, stronger, more aggressive than the other, especially 50 years ago. So I think to that point, if, if kerosene was the you know alleged uh, accelerant in question, you know, from the investigation, that's... I, I would think, in my own professional opinion, much more likely to light up the room than, you know, say the, the fuse box. Well, as far as like cleanup goes, do you guys hold when a fire's done? I mean, obviously, you know, you're not the one cleaning up, obviously, but like when, uh, when it's done, is there some kind of energy or concentration on, hey, don't clean up all this or that because you know this is an ongoing investigation absolutely yeah it's something that was definitely preached about when i was going through my initial training our our number one priority is to save lives as corny as it is like that's that that's the number one priority stopping loss of life is first and foremost and then property conservation because while we have you know the resources to put out the fire 
we still want to put out the fire or mitigate any other damage, you know, that be caused by the fire or even our water or by our tools trying to, you know, make a, a path of egress, something like that. So property conservation is next. Um, so as far as preserving a crime scene or a potential crime scene, that's definitely something that is very important. If we can identify even even in a fiery, potentially smoky condition scene, if we can determine that they're they're already past, then hopefully we should quickly change the idea to instead of getting them out right away to potentially rescue them. Unfortunately, put the you know put the fire out as quickly as possible and as as efficiently as possible, but then leave the body there to preserve the crime scene or preserve any evidence. Yeah, I was I was and, gonna ask the fact that the fire burned out you know, really from like midnight to two. And then the fact that there was bulldozers there at 4 a.m. to clean up the site. Does that all seem fishy to you at all? Right. Not necessarily. How was the life lost and should somebody be held responsible or criminally responsible like right away in the case of arson? It might be a little fishy to have a bulldozer there two hours later or benefit of the doubt like i was saying the bulldozer might be there to help clear some rubble so that we can check for victims yeah i was just saying (laughs) late late in the morning the whole site was cleared out completely and that's why you know as we read about it and actually there's a lot more evidence you know surrounding it it just adds to the uh, the fishiness i mean obviously this happened 50 years ago so you know who knows i mean i like putting my tinfoil hat on as much (laughs) as anybody else does it's Um, always a good time you know, I, I didn't answer this one earlier, but it, it is something that actually stands out to me as a big thing nowadays, and we're so used to it. We, I, I, I weren't a fireman. I think we a lot of people take it for granted. Sprinkler systems. You know, there was a design consultant recommended they come in and install a sprinkler system. Amusement park owners, managers, whatever, as a as a business decision, probably didn't want to retrofit a sprinkler system, especially in the 70s. That was extremely expensive, and if they weren't being forced to, it was probably something that a lot of businesses and, you know, a place like amusement park is probably not going to install. Um, yeah. So, someone should have listened to that guy. <laughs> yeah. That guy could have been an unsung hero. Obviously yeah. he never would have gotten any recognition for it, but the sprinkler system in, in any event, whether there's arson or not can, can really, you know, do a lot of damage. And, and realistically the opposite is saves, saves a lot of damage from happening. Like one sprinkler head can, can keep a, keep a relatively large hot fire in check. And even if it doesn't put it out, it, it very much so helps the spread of the fire. So you guys wouldn't even be talking about it. So sprinklers, yeah. um, they're good for kids yeah. and sprinklers for are, yeah. keeping amusement parks safe. hundred <laughs> um, percent. Definitely. You know, my, my professional, free legal advice is get a sprinkler system in your house even i'm sure it's expensive i'm sure it's crazy to think about but god forbid you don't want anything happening in your house but i guess yeah, <laughs> other than that i don't know i i'm definitely not the person to say whether or not this is you know somebody should be hung up on this one it could be either way like i said i, I like putting my my uh, tinfoil hat on as much as the next guy well i i'm gonna say this then after you listen to the episode when it comes out i i I'm I'm my challenge now is to convince you I'm I'm like on it now okay so, so I want you to text Nate and tell him if we convince him. All right, good. All right, All right. thanks, no John. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yep. All right, so big thanks to John for doing that for us. 
we might overlap a little bit here, but we do want to talk about some of the evidence that was observed after the fire was over. All right, we're going to take a break and listen to a commercial from our sponsor. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or if you're just a human who lives in a world who is going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelphelp.com That's right, Nate. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be hard, especially when you're limited to the options in your area. Yeah, I'm really glad we chose BetterHelp as a sponsor for this podcast because I've had people in my own life that have uh, struggled with mental health and anxiety and depression. And therapy was something that definitely helped them overcome those struggles. And now they're in a much better place. Yeah, I mean, I, I use BetterHelp and so far so good. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really talking about you. Oh. <laughs> BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online. It's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in as little as a few days. And sometimes faster. It only took a couple hours for me. That's right. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in our description. It's betterhelp.com slash historicalblunderspod. All one word. That's right. Clicking that link helps support this channel, but it also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp, so you can connect with a therapist and get the support that you need. And because finding a therapist is a little like dating, if you don't really fit with that therapist, which is a common thing with therapy, you can easily switch to a new therapist at no additional cost, without stressing about insurance, who's in network, or anything like that. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description, or visit betterhelp.com slash historicalblunderspod. And that's betterhelphelp.com. At this point, the fire is over, right? Now is the, the next step naturally where everyone's thinking, what the hell happened? All right, so yeah, now the investigation starts because, you know, the wicked fire went so fast and everything. Doug Knight was the guy that was put in charge of the investigation. The only issue is he was known to be a corrupt fixer for Abe Saffron. So he was like... What do you mean by fixer? He's... A guy that works for the police, right? He was a police. He was a, he was a detective. Yeah, it wasn't the arson guy. He was the he was the actual police. He wasn't fire. Correct. Yes. But yeah, so he would. Uh, uh-huh. uh, he was the guy that uh, Saffron kind of. Well, he had multiple people as fixers, but he would uh, be the guy that you'd use in the in the police department to help you get away with shit. Yeah, he he was the guy who you'd call in like, as the mafia yeah. and say, "All right." I need you to sweep this under yeah. the rug. I killed this dude. I need you to say he killed himself. Fix the situation for me. Yes. And I'll pay you lots of money. Yeah. And, I mean, the sad thing at the time is there were so many corrupt people. <laughs> well, and this guy especially had quite the reputation. He was dirtier than Mike Rowe on the telly. What? He was dirtier than Mike Rowe on oh. the telly. <laughs> I'm like, what? You said that way too fast. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so fire got over. I think, what was it, 2 a.m.? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, early in the morning, if really from like midnight to 2, it was starting to burn down. Yeah, because it was so much wood. It was burning so hot, so crazy. When the guy was going in to save the other kids, he actually would talk about it later, and, and all the victims that, that came out would say, too, like it was a roaring fire, like deafening whirlwind sound because timber 
in all those corridors packed, packed, packed with, with wood. You know, when that starts to get really get raging as a fire, it got so loud, violent, you know, it's just a terrible well, you scene. You hear the popping from a campfire and you're like, damn, like hit some sap or something in that log and that fucker pops. Like imagine just yeah. an entire structure. Flames coming out of the hell's doorway. Yeah. Creepy. Yeah, that was not a good name, guys. But uh, it was like 10, 10, 15 when the coaster caught on fire, right? Yeah, it was about 10 o'clock. Yeah, 10 yeah. o'clock. And so then midnight it started dying out. 2 a.m. it was done. And then at 4 a.m. they already had bulldozers there to clear it out. Right. And I know John had kind of touched on it, but the fuse box was still standing at the end of it. Yeah. And the fuse box was immediately the thing that was blamed for the cause of the fire. Yeah. And what my biggest thing too with all that is that the police were was the police guy was the one that was like, Yep, it was the electrical panel that did it. Because yeah. he knows everything. Showed up right away. He's like, Oh yeah, I know. Yeah. Electrical yeah. fire. When when at the same time that circuit is shared with another ride that was going on fine. And that ride had been going on during the fire, after the fire, and was still working yeah, the next day. That's a hell of a fucking fuse box. No, no, that means that the fire did not originate in that fuse box. Well, no, I'm just saying that it's still intact and working. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, so they already had the uh, bulldozers there uh, immediately. Next Two hours later yeah. after the fire was done, they had bulldozers there ready to clear out rubble. Like, I don't know, I feel like it would have taken more. Just and to late, fi- fi- make sure there was no body, more bodies. Late in the morning, the whole site was cleared. Yeah. There was nothing left. There's like very few pictures or evidence that were ever taken of the rubble. Well, yeah. I mean, it burned overnight and yeah, back then cameras weren't as good. I mean, maybe nowadays you'd be able to get a good night shot, but yeah, back then, yeah, you're not going to get shit. So like to John's point, you know, I think you kind of get a feeling for like, all right, it might be a little fishy, but maybe, you know, maybe it was clear as day what the, the reason was or what the cause was of the fire. Or maybe because he said it immediately, everyone just was like, oh, okay. Right, because it wasn't it wasn't just him that said it, right? Excuse immediately me. the next day, all the papers came out and said, no, this is an electrical fire. Yeah, no foul play. No foul play is expected. This isn't an arson event. This is an electrical fire. Kind of like immediately stamped out the suspicion of anything fishy. Yeah, even though immediately they had eyewitness testimonies. <laughs> yeah, so that that's the next step here, right? So, all right, that's what happens. Now, what you start to find out when you dig into it, though, is that there was multiple witnesses giving information that definitely pointed it to being... Arson. Arson. Yeah, like the cooperate... <laughs> the quabble pobble wa Yeah. <laughs> Cooperate? Collaborated. I don't know. We're having corroboration. Such, yeah, we're having such a hard time with words today. You know what I was thinking? We should get a whooping stick for pronunciation. Oh no, that'd be fun. Like, oh, you can't say it right. Bam! I don't know. You'd get hit pretty bad today. <laughs> today, yes. I'm gonna make sure to put some difficult words in there. Yeah. I don't know. There's been time the, the Willie Wallace episode. I would have beat your ass. <laughs> I wouldn't have known. <laughs> so yes, all like all these different witnesses popped up. People that didn't know each other, like diff- people from different backgrounds, all popped up, and all their stories said the same thing: is that they heard people there talking about it, the use of kerosene, and then multiple people saying they smelled kerosene. Because yeah, kerosene does smell funky. 
Right. So this is this is where it starts to get funny, right? Because we'll, let's go through each witness kind of, or each group at least. So yeah. the first witness had come forward and said, hey, I was on the ride. And during the ride, to, right by the imitation fire, I smelled kerosene, which is, like you said, a very distinctive smell. Yeah. It's a weird smell. It's right. So, smell. so he had gone to the police to make a statement. And they immediately were deterring him from making a statement, saying, no, this is just going to confuse things. <laughs> we already determined it's an electrical fire, which is the next day. Yeah. Which is like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, this... We know what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... So so you start to get a little inkling of fishy. Or or maybe it's a little salmon-y in the room now. Because you got two fishy things, right? <laughs> oh, God. So then... A couple of the park staff and actually a lot more witnesses would attest to seeing bikers go on the ride right before the fire. Oh, what the hell? They, they didn't call them bikers. They call them boikies. Boikies. In Australia, they call it boikies. So the boikies went on the ride. And so Les Dowd comes off as one of the key witnesses in this whole thing. And he comes forward to the police and says, I heard a group of bikers talking. And what he says he heard is so critical. One of the bikers mentioned, yeah, I lit it with kerosene and matches. And then one of the other bikers, according to him, a bulkies, as he likes to say, said, you shouldn't have done that. And they kind of like quickly walked off. Yeah. I think it, it probably comes off as you probably shouldn't have said that. And we need to get the fuck out of here now. Yeah. And what kills me is how specific he is. Yeah. Like, yes, they make, like, yes, he's illiterate and struggled with that, but with how, like, crazy detailed. Right. Because in a time of, like, that's a big thing is eyewitness accounts really don't mean much anymore because in a time of, like, panic like that, you don't, you overlook things. You forget things. You exaggerate things in your mind and stuff. So stuff like that, but like with how spot on he was with shit. Right. Like that wouldn't be something I would just make up. Yeah, I mean, like I, it's his critical. sleeve was ripped. Right. It's like the tattoo on his ear. The, I mean, back then, how many people had fucking tattoos on their ears? But clear as day description, yeah. right? Yeah. And it, the worst thing about it is he, he goes to the police and he makes a statement, right? With a good cop. With a, with a good cop, yes, because he goes back to his normal life. And then later, the police come and get him again yeah, to interrogate Literally him. seven hours later. Like, the dude has not slept. Right. They bring him back in. And this time, he says specifically, the whole mood in the room had changed. Yeah. It was not this, hey, tell us what happened. It was, you did not hear that. Yeah, you're changing your statement. And he wasn't, like, this, you know, proud or brave man at that point he's a kid he was 16 years old yeah he's a he's a little wiry kid you know so they you know and he lived in a youth shelter like he probably feared cops for sure i mean like it's an intimidating thing anyways even now if i got in a room full of cops and they were pushing me to something i don't know how confident i would be in in not shifting my story which is exactly what happens right less doubt ends up shifting a story and going along with what they're proposing which is saying you didn't hear anything. Forget about this. What he said was a lie. <laughs> what he said was a lie, and he retracts the statement, and he actually even gets fined a hundred dollars. That's insane. So, 
But yeah, the original interrogating officer had no idea that yeah. they, like, these cops were doing anything. So hopefully, like that's the first red flag. <laughs> so hope no, this, this well, is like we're, the fourteenth red flag. This is but, the the red flag and the fishy smells, yeah. right? <laughs> Starting so, to get really old tuna y smell. So yeah, seven total witnesses end up coming forward talking about bikers going on the show or bikers going on the ride. Yeah, and then like all of them were requested to the court. Yeah, they, like that made zero sense. Why even request them? And because then they didn't ask him anything. Yeah. Yeah. So you, this is wild. So in the papers, Doug Knight has a quote in the papers the next day. <laughs> this is so crazy. I can't even, I can't even imagine. Like, it's so surprising this is real. But he has a quote saying, it is understood that police want to get more evidence to support the accident theory. <laughs> That's straight out of the Sydney papers. Yeah. They need to get more evidence to support the accident theory published to all of Sydney. Like what? Like in their minds where they just like, oh, maybe this like people are just like, oh, they just need more evidence, I guess. We need people to help support our shitty theory. <laughs> there's there's no critical thinking. Like these guys suck at cover-ups. It's like all of this evidence in the story that you hear, like it's so clear like there's something wrong going yes. on. Right, it's something's not right. They shouldn't have cleaned up so fast. You know, they should have investigated the bikies that were there or yeah. bikers, whatever you want to call. Well, it. like he said, they they got the the notice to start looking for them like out immediately at like six a.m. or whatever. Right, as soon as the interview was done with uh, Leslie. Yeah, I mean, it, like there's too much that that it can't be viewed as coincidental. Yes, because like. The good cop, who his name was Michael Mayer, like he did everything he was supposed to, and then, you know, as soon as he was off his shift, basically, all the other cops were like, "Nope, nope, 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 nope." Let's change everything. Yeah, I mean, and what kills me though is how how did he never like speak up? Yeah, I mean, these guys suck at cover ups. Yeah, I would say because like there's some obvious. It's blatant. Like if I was doing a cover up, I think I could have done a better job. And I'm not exact. I'm like as square as they come. You know, these guys suck at cover ups. They make Hunter Biden look like Houdini. You know, <laughs> yeah. Even with the pictures. So, so there's the evidence. You know, we talked about it with John too. The situation and, and his analysis of what he saw, kind of just briefly. So you kind of get a picture of something cheesy is going on, right? Yeah. Something's not right. This isn't how a police investigation should be run. So that all has to come to a point. And the motive for this fire, we have to start with Abe Saffron. So Abe Saffron was a wealthy nightclub owner, a hotel owner, a property developer, and most importantly, he was a mobster. You're telling me that all those things that he owns definitely doesn't point to the fact that he's a mobster. <laughs> he's gangster. <laughs> so this guy, this guy is nicknamed as Mr. Sin. In the media, he's notorious. Sounds and like a weird porn star name. It's in the, the age of the seventies where it's almost like cool to be a mobster. Yeah, they, so the media made you cool. Like the same thing with New York, right? New York seventies mobsters were like, like rock stars. Yeah, you know, it wasn't like, you know, they got taken out eventually, but for a while there, it's like they had their own culture. Yeah, 
Like, like the cops like, knew exactly who they were, but it didn't matter because they owned the cops. Yeah, I mean, the real truth is this guy was involved in alcohol sales, gambling, prostitution, Ooh. drug dealing, bribery, extortion. This was, you know, everything a mobster needs. Yeah, and we'll we'll post an interview on our Facebook page, but there's an interview with him that I saw, and it's just like the guy himself. You just get this vibe from like you're talking to the devil he's not a trustworthy mobster dude i yeah he's, he's probably one of the more evil people i think i've ever seen just just based off his mannerisms and the way he talks he just looks like a psychopath yeah he looks like a psychopath like the devil yeah you know needed the devil you know so a- abe saffron years before had contacted the owner of luna park and wanted to buy the park yeah well i mean he was into the real estate. Yeah, he was a property developer. And like we said before, Luna Park was one of the best real estate property development options mm-hmm. you could have in Sydney. After the incident, the land had gone up for lease because it was such a big... They had to shut down all yeah. the rides, right? Obviously, it's a, it's a huge incident. There's no rebounding at, so, immediately. Right. So after this goes up for lease, Harborside Amusement wasn't the best bid, but it won. And this other company had a much better bid in place. They had it basically locked down where they could not like lose this bid. They had the most money. It was, it was, you know, the most reputable company to take over. And then all of a sudden, like the government had just been like, ah, no, this is going to fall through. And and, like, it just in a shady way, it just kind of went with the wind. And next thing you know, Harborside Amusement, property company comes in and gets the lease for this well guess who's related to the owner of harborside amusement property can i guess can i guess is it abe saffron joe but oh oh probably <laughs> <laughs> at this point no how rule it out <laughs> hal and cole goldstein were that sounds like a property development <laughs> they were abe saffron's nephews and they ran the company. They got control of Luna Park after the fire. They also managed the trust for Abe Saffron's money. Hmm. So after that point, it's really sad too because all the the like the beautiful artwork and the beautiful art history style of the whole park was really auctioned off yeah. almost completely. What's crazy is the fact that they actually used like legit artists like that Martin Short, right? Yep. Martin Short is one of the famous, most famous artists in also, Sydney, yeah. Australia. And like... And he took a lot of pride in Luna Park. He did. Yeah. But yeah, that's... I mean, he's the one that painted the face. Yeah, he he's the one that made the face... Less I would say the least creepy it ever was. Because <laughs> it's, still, it's still creepy. Yeah, it was very creepy. It, although, like, it's, it's weird because it's creepy, but it's still cool. Like, I would still like to see it in person, honestly. It'd be cool. It'd I mean, cool. I'd, I'd also like just go to Australia. I'd be creeped out, though, especially with what happened with the fire. Go there with some ghost detector shit. <laughs> Are you trying to talk to us right now? Don't say that, because I'm pretty sure there's dude, ghosts in our house. Dude, oh, don't tell me that. I'm not going to come over here anymore. We're just hanging out in the basement furthest away from the front door. Dude, I don't do ghosts. I don't there's do ghosts. There's definitely not ghosts in my house. So all that happens, basically Abe Saffron by association owns the park now Mm. after he lit it on fire and he after that point they buy the park they sell a bunch of stuff out they kind of 
start moving in more professional type stuff in like more business focused type stuff that can make more money and at the same time he moves in a hundred poker machine so basically ape saffron directly now has a hundred machines in luna Luna Park. park making money for him and owns it through his nephews yeah so so you could say okay that's just an association right that's not enough to really like paint good evidence to say he started the fire yeah. right but his niece Anne Buckingham almost inadvertently in 2007 did an article with the Sydney Herald when she was asked about the Luna Park fire that killed seven people she kind of laughed it off nervously and said, very strange, that fire. She says, I don't think people were meant to be killed. That's the direct quote. Yeah. Which means someone was intentionally... That fire was intentional. It wasn't supposed to... People weren't supposed to die. And she would go on to say, yeah, my uncle ordered the fire to be done. He likes to collect things. Which, obviously, Luna Park, like we said a couple times, was the place to go and collect stuff. Yeah. That so, was... It's just crazy, like... Ah, someone in an interview, like, how corrupt is Australia, man? Is it, like, really bad? You have like to this? realize how Australia started. It was criminals. <laughs> is that right? I don't yes, know. Yes, British this. prisons were overflowing because of, like, tax evasion and shit like that. And so they just shuttled a fuck ton of criminals to Australia and, like, here, you can live here and not be in jail. And people were like, cool. It's like a giant Alcatraz. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> and then they realized everything there was trying to kill them. Like the giant birds, crocodiles. <laughs> Spiders as big as your head. Yeah, the aborigines. <laughs> I did not know this. Mm-hmm. That's how That's Australia started. So when it was all said and done, they never, never charged anybody. Right, it was before, before that even, too. The two years after that fire, too, there was six more fires on Abe Saffron's properties where he got a huge amount of insurance money. That's a thing? Yeah. Oh, what I a coinky dirk. And I know it's hot in Australia, but it smells like bullshit to me. You know? Yeah. So, I, like, it just paints this picture. Like, this guy is an evil mobster. Like, and actually someone who's yeah. associated with him. He has a family, and his kids are planning to go to Luna Park that night. And he stops them. And he says, you guys can't go to Luna Park tonight. They're like, why? He's like, something really bad is going to happen. I can't tell you. You can't go to Luna Park. And his kids eventually, when they get older, they would, you know, tell that story further, yeah. furthering, right, the point that this guy had orchestrated something. Yeah. And they, they get they get even more evidence and testimony from people that were apparently at the barbecue where Abe Saffron had announced to everyone, All right, guys, we're going to do we're gonna we're gonna hit Luna Park with Arson on the ghost train ride tomorrow. Like, apparently that was a conversation. You can see it in the episode at the very end. But it's it's pretty it's pretty dramatic, right? It, yeah. it's, it just confirms all the suspicions. And, God, like, there's so much corruption in Australia. You know, even the Bill Walsh, who was, I think he was the, the chief of police, was seen multiple times with What's Abe that? Saffron, yeah. like, in restaurants. Well, that's, I mean, that's how you did things back is the old mobsters. You basically just got everyone in... Every one of these guys to come to your shit, and then you had blackmail on them. I mean, that's it's yeah. just terrible, you know. I mean, it, it's all like like money moving around is one thing, but when kids are dying, yeah, like it just it just makes it like makes me angry. It happened fifty years ago. I want to go like find 
where to get back at Abe Saffron. I, I, you know, there's not really a good way to do yeah. that. And that, I think that's also a big thing of why nothing ever really came of it. Cause you can't really charge a dead guy. Yeah. It's, it's you know, terrible. I mean, the you know? only thing that could possibly come of that is if it, you had a hundred percent solid evidence, you could attack his trust. Yeah. I mean, and there's, that's about it. there's been some stuff that happened since then, but because of such the, the in-depth cover-up that they did, there's not really a good case you can make against yeah. him. Like, yeah, you can draw lines from him, you know, connecting, and you can get get some evidence together, but no one's going to testify against him even today. Yeah. You know, so it's unfortunately this is a this is a sad story that has a sad ending, right? I mean, the guy gets away with it, made a ton of money off of it. Yeah, six kids and one adult. Died. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible, and they're all, I mean, young kids. If it doesn't piss you off, something's wrong with you. Yeah. All right, but we're going to move on now, and we're going to go into our next segment. I believe it's time for Trivia. The fastest roller coaster in the world is Formula Rosa in Dubai. Of course, because Dubai has everything, all the coolest shit. What's the over-under for the max speed it hits at 150? Over. Under. Really? Yeah. Under by one mile per hour. Oh, I thought <laughs> I thought like top fuel and uh, oh that's probably like one twenty, isn't it? The one in uh, Cedar Point. Yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that one was pretty. One forty nine. That's still fast. I mean, that's still fast as fuck. I couldn't imagine the fucking G on like the G force on that. What is the oldest oh I guess running. It's still running. What is the oldest running roller coaster in the world? Oh boy. Okay. And where is it at? That's a pretty hard question. All right. <laughs> where is it at? Just give me the country. Uh, how about Disneyland? Oh, all right. You can give me a park. No, it's not Disneyland. Oh, okay. It's actually in a park I have never heard of. It's called Leap the Dips. How the fuck am I supposed is to the know? It's a coaster, but it's in Lakemont Park in Pennsylvania. I, st- <laughs> I couldn't name you all the parks in my own state. <laughs> Six Flags. <laughs> all right. What, what decade did Disney World open? 1950s 1971 was it really that yeah. late i thought it yeah was... it's I, I surprised me like disneyland disney i said disney world oh, world oh yeah because land was first all right what are the the top three most dangerous amusement parks in the u.s in the u.s they're popular ones i'll say that so six flags no nope. oh no no cedar point no disney world Yes. Universal Studios. No. No. Uh, Bush Gardens. Nope. I thought they had a bunch of shit there. Uh, so number three is Disney World. Number two is Disneyland. <laughs> which is crazy. Like, I didn't know Disney was so damn dangerous. I don't know. We should never go there as a family, Sam. Just kidding. I, I can't <laughs> wait to go back. So <laughs> the last one is Action Park in New Jersey. Is it? Is, but it's defunct. It's not still open. Oh, because I wanted to give I wanted to give a little bit of that because Action Park is actually known as like Class Action Park because yeah, they did yeah. so much stupid shit. Like Johnny Knoxville made that movie that's like a parody of it. Like it's not. A, I don't think it was, they actually called it Action Park for like copyright reasons. But yeah, they had a slide there that had a a loop in it. But almost everybody got stuck in the loop. <laughs> Unless you were like 400 pounds, you weren't making the loop. I did read about that. That wasn't even the most dangerous part of the, sh- the whole park. Didn't they have uh, those fucking handcart rails? Yes. So that, I was going to talk about that uh, 
it's called an alpine slide. Yes. And it's basically a, a like a whole luge thing, but you're in a go-kart with no engine. It's just a cart. And and you have like a brake in yeah. your hands, right? Which sounds like fun, honestly. Like it sounds like a good time. Except the track, <laughs> like you have no seatbelt or anything tied to you. For you're the literally just sitting on this fucking cart. So you're on a concrete slide with a like a like a cart that you're riding down in. And the sections are either made of concrete or they're made of fiberglass, which I don't know which one's worse to fall on. Like, both <laughs> sound terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, like, my coworker that I sit right next to at work, his wife had fallen off one, I think it was in Colorado. What is the oldest amusement park in the world? Oh, Jesus. It's not the oldest roller coaster, though. Just the oldest amusement park. All right. It's got to be Europe. Mm, yes. Okay. How about, let's go by country here. Yes, give me the country. Let's go, let's go Germany. No. Italy. Nope. France. North. Sweden. Next two. Finland. Next two. Norway. Next two. Oh, fuck. How far? There's like one more country up there. (laughs) Switzerland? Switzerland's in the middle. I don't fucking know. Denmark. Denmark is not. Yeah, it is. Denmark's up there. It's northern, like, central Europe. Isn't it? So, as of right now, it's still operating. It opened in 1583. So, it's 441 years old. Fascinating. Yeah. has 33 total rides. Do the rides suck? I don't know. I imagine they suck. I mean, it gets two and a half to almost three million people a year. I I bet they got exit signs on their rides. Hopefully. And sprinklers. (laughs) Maybe. So, my last question. <laughs> okay. All right. It's another over-under, okay? All right. How many amusement park deaths happen per year due to accident from the range of 1987 to 2000, for example? Okay. Over or under four? Under. Over. There's 14. Four and a half. Four and a half. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> What's up with these close? <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, that, that, that kind of surprised me. Four and a half deaths happen a year. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's not that bad. To me, that's still too many. But with with how stupid with how stupid rides are now, like, I'm shocked more people don't die. That's true. Yeah. I, like, some rides, especially when you go on them, and it's like you're at the mercy of the operator. Like a 16-year-old kid saying, keep your hands in the car. All right, cool. Yeah, have a fun day. Boop. Yeah. Boop. Anyways, I want to close out the Luna Park story. Oh, okay. so there's like one ray of sunshine out of this. Some positive. And and Jenny Godson, like we said before, she lost her her entire family in the fire. So her story is she ended up selling all of her belongings that were in Warren, kind of in the country where they came from. Yeah. She just ended up staying in Sydney. She did end up remarrying. She had her daughter. She calls her her little miracle, and she tries to tell the story of her family just to keep the memory of her family alive. Yeah. So anytime she can, she'll talk about it. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. She did a good job in the documentary talking about it. And keep yeah. Being, like, I, I don't know how I, I wouldn't be able to keep my shit. I tried to find a GoFundMe for her so we could post her, but I couldn't find, find nothing. I, there I, should, do they even have one? They should. Do they have GoFundMe in Australia? <laughs> They're not, not cavemen. <laughs> they just, okay, but they just might hot. have, a, they might have a different thing. So, we're going to talk about a little lighter story, but still kind of a fucked up amusement park. People dying. 
People didn't die here. Oh, good. Just animals. Uh, well, that's almost, <laughs> it's almost, almost as worse. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this park was known as Jungle Habitat in West Milford, New Jersey. For some reason, New Jersey has like all the shitty defunct amusement parks. And I think a big part of it is just being so close to New York City. And so you got fucking three and a half million people 45 minutes away. It's like, of course, we're going to try doing something. They're like, hey, there's room here. Exactly. There's room here for shit. <laughs> New Jersey is just New York's backyard. <laughs> yep. But uh, so this park was called Jungle Habitat. It was an African themed park. It was they had a drive through part and a walk through part. And it was owned and operated by Warner Brothers. So when I first heard that, I'm like, oh, they're actually gonna kind of take this serious. No, not really. <laughs> so all the animals, like, it was lions, zebras, elephants, there were kangaroos, there were monkeys, just crazy shit all over the place. Just kind of roamed around and everything, and there were plenty of incidents, <laughs> but... So they just had the animals roaming? Yeah, so you drove through this safari, basically. Oh, it's Jurassic Park. Essentially just with African animals in New Jersey. I mean, that sounds kind of cool. Yeah, so... uh uh, there's a lot of legends around this park. There's a lot of not true things. There's things that, I mean, no one really knows 100%. Not true things? People making up shit? Yeah, there, there's like, like basically like elephants were roaming around after the park closed and they just kind of left them to die, but they said ahead of time the elephant was already dead. That'd be cool. <laughs> just I go, mean, not that the elephant, so you know, dying is Rumor cool. is like, after they closed, they left animals there because they had oh. tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. And so they killed them humanely and left the carcasses there because it was wintertime. But there was a lot. So, uh, like, yeah, they all have tuberculosis. Tuberculosis. So, uh, on October 9th, 1972, an Israeli tourist, Abraham Levy, like, if that's not the most Israeli name ever, was driving through in a taxi so he like hired a taxi to take him through this park <laughs> is what i'm guessing because it didn't say that he was he, like he owned the taxi yeah it just said he was in a taxi i'm like D- did he really like legit hire a taxi to drive him through this theme park that but, is, that's a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> but what actually happened was he was attacked by a lion in the car in the car like a lion just jumped through the window and mauled him like did he die no he actually lived but uh, so so hold on though so he gets in a taxi. He's like, dude, you want to have a good fucking time? <laughs> do you want to go see some shit? <laughs> like, do you think the taxi guy would give him a discount for like, honestly, all right, you take me through Safari Place? Honestly. We'll split it, man. That's he, cool. He's probably like, dude, I'll give you 50% off your fare. <laughs> I'll just tell my wife I was working all day. Let's go see some cool shit. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Like, honestly? Yep. If I was a taxi driver and someone's like, dude, you want to go see some fucking animals? I'd be like, fuck yeah, let's go. <laughs> So best day ever. Yeah. So it happened on October 9th. What's your name? My name's Nate. <laughs> Abraham. It's not what I mean. so. Jake I, and Nate. Fuck you. <laughs> October 9th it happened. Rude. By November 1st, they already brought the lion back and returned it into the park. So there's like, all right, he had his taste of blood. We're gonna get him away for a little bit. And they brought him back a month later. <laughs> I wait, couldn't I couldn't they, wait, they brought the lion back? Yeah. <laughs> like usually usually if a lion like if an animal attacks someone at a zoo or something yeah you, yeah usually they're euthanized yeah, they, or they take care of it or, or 
released back into the wild or something like like the, they don't come back to the <laughs> to the zoo usually but the man lived i couldn't find if there was a, like the settlement or anything cuz uh, i'm i mean obviously I'm that sure. must be pretty nice in november of the same year so literally like literally like this happened they brought the lion back wolves escaped like rumors around this park was that just animals just would escape <laughs> but luckily they caught the wolves but there's been legends and stuff that throughout the years you can find monkeys and kangaroos in the new jersey wilderness around the park supposed like ancestors of the escaped animals <laughs> So the lion stands up to all the other animals like, dude, you guys don't know how good these people taste. <laughs> you should try it. So in uh, July 8th of 1974, another animal listened to the, uh, the lion. Uh, it was a baby African elephant. Uh, grabbed a woman with his trunk and pulled her to the cage and bit her. We got, a, we got ourselves a horned up elephant. <laughs> He's a baby. It's just a baby. I don't know. But yeah, that one, the woman was like hurt and everything, but she got $200,000 settlement in 74. So that's probably... How about was she hurt, though? I don't know. I didn't see that. <laughs> They're not going to tell you that. $200,000. I get hurt pretty bad for $200,000. Yeah. How how much would you get hurt for $200,000? Do I let a fucking African elephant bite me? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think I would do... Broken legs and broken arms at the same time. All of them? For $200,000? All of them? Yeah. $200,000 is a lot of money. Do you want me to pull it office? That's basically how you exist now, Kevin. With no (laughs) legs or no arms. (laughs) But yeah, so they had the drive-thru part. Then the walk-thru part was actually called Jungle Junction. And it was probably boring because, like, nothing happened there. The (laughs) drive-thru part was where all the shit went down. (laughs) The lion didn't get to talk to those animals. Yeah. But yeah, so... There are a lot of uh, rumors about the animals roaming around after they closed, and they supposedly aren't true. Warner Brothers came out and said that they sold them. Of course they said that. I know, but sold them the buyers Abe Saffron owns Warner Brothers. But yes, the animals contracted tuberculosis, supposedly. But after the park closed, they ended up finding 30 dead animals after the park closed. Oh, jeez. Yeah, there was a decapitated elephant. What? Yeah. That's how you cure tuberculosis. Uh, camel and bison were just dead on the side of the road in in the park. Like, they just kind of like, they're zebras they just left, but just deteriorating that's because really it was terrible. winter time. I, I, I mean, we're all joking around, but that's terrible. Uh, one rumor I heard is that, like, they buried animals. Like, they just died, and so they just bury them. And they didn't find it until they started, like, building a, like, a parking lot. How did this not blow up more as them, you know, the Warner Brothers? Yeah, I don't like know. They, like, it's a huge that maybe corporation. They have, maybe they have enough money. And they just it never got out. Yeah. It's terrible. Like, it was, there really isn't that much information on it. Like, a lot of this stuff came from, like, a newspaper from, like, back then. Yeah. yeah and there was one, I can't remember what they were, but there was, like, one person that, like, really dove into it. And that's where they said, like, a lot of the shit was made up. And, and, to, and to clarify, too, the Luna Park incident, Martin Short... We talked about him as an artist, and he's the one who revamped the the Luna Park face. But he he did a ton of investigating yeah. into the, the Ghost Train fire and its cover up, and the investigation he, that occurred. He then that's why we said like he loved that park. He loved it, yeah. yeah. And I think it drove him crazy, honestly, because they talked about later in life he was 
dude, he looked kind of schizophrenic. He looked pretty crazy. Yeah, he looked crazy. Yeah, like and like they went in his room, and it was packed full of evidence and yeah. documents that they were they were even like, yeah, legally we shouldn't be able to have these. Yeah. <laughs> like it was police reports and stuff, and and you only get those, and it and looked like, like a crazy man's. Well, the crazy house. pictures he made uh, painted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was like the silhouette of the of the entrance, the face with smoke with smoke up. and yeah. fire, like creepy. Yeah, it was creepy. Anyway. But yeah, dead so, animals. Dead animals. That was jungle habitat. It. I just wanted to bring it up because to me that's just one of the dumbest things. Uh, there's just over the years there's been a lot of stupid theme parks in my opinion. Like honestly, they're really. I haven't really found a theme park that's like, man, that's a really great fucking idea. Like the, all of them. You know, what's wrong with Six Flags? It's still just kind of stupid. What's stupid about Why it? Why do we need, like, a Wild West corridor in fucking Chicago? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, just that, the that part, sure. That themes part, sure. that they do, but obviously it's a theme park. Like, you gotta have them. But we're gonna be talking about a few, you know, honorable mentions of stupid parks throughout the world. Just a handful of them. This one, Patriot Park. I didn't want to look up the Russian name. So Mel Gibson was there. No. It's from Russia, and it's known as Military Disneyland. It was opened by my boy Vlad in 2015. Vlad the Impaler? Yeah. Oh. Vladimir Putin. Oh. <laughs> uh, the picture I saw were basically just tanks everywhere that kids could just climb on. There was, like, military marches. <laughs> you could do... A, cool. The one thing I saw was, like, military reenactments where you get to, like, go, like, do urban warfare and shit. I'm like, that sounds fun. But it's in Russia, so it's probably real guns. But yeah, so basically, like, it's a Russian propaganda for their military park for kids to go there and be like, man, Russia's so strong. And not. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. Like, they just go there and see all this crazy military shit. So in their mind, they think, like, Russia's such a military, like, dominant, like, superpower because they see all this cool shit. Not since Sputnik. Sputnik uh, <laughs> was the highest they got challenging so, the U.S. If you if you want to know more about that, go to our Cuban Missile Crisis episode. Yes. And there's also a similar park in Lithuania, I think, that was made during the Soviet Union time. And it has a lot of, like, pro-Stalin shit. <laughs> yeah, uh, pro-Stalin. Like, after Stalin died, no one was pro-Stalin. <laughs> yeah. Even Khrushchev was not pro-Stalin. And uh, so, yeah. Gotta love Russia. Here's the next one. Wunderland Kalkar in Germany. <laughs> All right. So basically this Wunderland Kalkar has everything that a theme park needs, you know, hotel, restaurants, bunch of rides, all you can eat ice cream, but it was also built in a cooling tower of an old <laughs> nuclear reactor. <laughs> so it's really cool. Seeing the picture is like, cause cooling towers are fucking massive, but in the picture, like the, it's painted but you can actually rock climb the outside too. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Multi-purpose. Yeah. But yeah, so a nuclear reactor from the 70s that they just kind of made into a theme park. And I'm like, that sounds very German. <laughs> it sounds very Russian. Honestly. Yes. It sounds more Eastern European, but I wouldn't put it past the Germans. They blew up theirs <laughs> in Eastern Europe. Yeah. It's just a barren wasteland stuck in the 80s. If you want to know more, go to the Chernobyl episode. <laughs> Shameless plugs. <laughs> All right. The third one is Hacienda Napoles. I don't know if I said that right. Is that in Mexico? No, Colombia. Oh. 
So it's an African safari-themed water park, which by the pictures look kind of cool. Sounds cool. But it was built on one of Pablo Escobar's estates. Oh, that's not as cool. So what was actually pretty cool is for the longest time, they left the mansion and you could tour it. But yeah, so they used to be able to do tours of the estate and everything. And then eventually it collapsed and they had to take it down. But he still got like a fuckload of cars, like cool old cars and stuff you can go look at. Oh, yeah. Just middle of Columbia. There's just a former drug kingpin's estate. That's amusement park park with cars in it. Fascinating. Yeah, there's just some stupid. There was a cheese land. I forgot. South Korea, I think, is where it was. It was kind of cool. Cheese land in South. Do they even do cheese in Korea? They must. No, they don't eat cheese. Fucking idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I should know better. But yeah, it was. I work. I work next. I work with someone, Mary Rose. We're buddies. Is she Korean? I'm calling her out right now. No, no, oh. she's married to someone from South Korea. The good Korea. Yeah, they're super cool. Shout out, <laughs> shout out to Mary Rose. She wears pink sunglasses that are shaped like hearts. Is she an engineer? Yeah, yeah. She sounds like a very engineer thing. Hey to do. man, us engineers are a diverse group. Okay, lots of different kinds of people. You know. And we're all nerds. Unless you go to Platteville, Wisconsin, then it's all <laughs> chubby ones. <laughs> yes. Platteville, where the men are men and so are the women. <laughs> There's your cup again. That's the dinner bell, guys. <laughs> it's like Christmas. <laughs> all right. So that is the wrap up of our theme park, sad story, semi happy ending. Yeah, that, that's the that's the dark episode. I don't think they're gonna be this dark. Yeah, we're gonna tr- we're trying not to do dark dark episodes, guys. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't know it was gonna be this dark until I started like really getting into it, and then I was like, oh shit, this is gonna. Be- but it's a good story. It's a good story. It's definitely a juicy story, and it's uh, something that not everybody knows about, and something that people should know about, and it's something that should piss you off. Yeah, if, if you're a good person, it should piss you off to no end for sure. But the next episode, we're purposely. Probably going to do in a topic that's not as dark. And actually, yeah. we don't know what that's going to be yet. But Nate's going to pick one. He's going to text it to me in the next couple days. And we'll make a Facebook post. Yeah. Actually, no. Let's just let it be a surprise. Will it be can a surprise? We, can we let it be a surprise? Okay. All right. Thanks, Daddy. All right. That made See, me uncomfortable. I like, that made me uncomfortable. Dude, I, like it. I like it when you call me Daddy. I know you do, you weirdo. <laughs> Come over here, you big teddy bear. All right. Yep, so we're going to start something new here. So we've had a promotion going on for a free shot glass, a free customized historical blunder shot glass. And uh, (laughs) it's not that. (laughs) Nate's glass. It's a very cool little square glass. (laughs) So you can get one by posting a comment on Apple Podcasts and then letting us know where to ship your shot glass tours, and we'll we'll ship it to you free of charge. Now we're also adding if you share a... (laughs) Facebook, god damn it, you and your Yeti glass. So also, if you share one of your favorite Facebook or Instagram posts that we have, and you tag three of your friends saying, hey, check this out, this podcast is fucking awesome! While supplies last. While supplies last. Yeah, yeah everything helps, you know, best way to spread a podcast is word of mouth, so... We appreciate anything you guys do for us. All right. With that, (laughs) thanks, guys, for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye.